0: Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday, July 20th, 2021 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you've never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or estate of any performer or composer, dead and gone, to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is Dave Bayless. Based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Dave is an accomplished, versatile jazz artist, percussionist, and respected music educator. He is active throughout the Midwest as a First Call drummer For small and large ensemble performances across all genres of jazz including latin and big band styles he is a demanding yet motivational clinician educator and mentor with a deep knowledge of jazz classic and contemporary percussion repertoire and the performance experience dave is passionate about teaching and sharing music as an historical and creative art form. Bayless was educated at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, receiving a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in music education. He has also studied with Mark Davis, Dave Mancini, Steve Wiest, Ed Thigpen, Carl Allen, and George Flutus. Dave serves as the drummer for Sharon Lynn Wilson Center Big Band and is the drummer for the group, We Six. He was also the drummer for the nationally acclaimed Wisconsin public radio quiz show, What Do You Know? from 1998 until 2016. Bayless has performed with nationally known jazz artists such as Greg Abate, Ron Blake, Bobby Broom, David Bixler, Jeff Campbell, Richie Cole, Charles Davis, Richard Davis, Dennis de Blasio, Madeline Eastman, Barry Harris, David Hazeltine, Slide Hampton, John Harmon, Vincent Harry, Clay Jenkins, Mike Lee, Brian Lynch, Frank Mantooth, Kitty Margolis, Brother Jack McDuff, Charles McPherson, Tom Bones Malone, James Moody, Frank Morgan, Dave Petro, Jim Pugh, Tim Reese, Melvin Rhine, Bobby Shue, Terrell Stafford, Kim Richmond, Steve Rodby, Jim Snydero, Marvin Stam, Steve March, Tormey, Ernie Watts, and Steve Weist. Outside of the jazz, jazz realm, Dave has performed with the Milwaukee Ballet Orchestra, the Waukesha Symphony Orchestra, Rome Festival Orchestra, the Belcanto Chorus Orchestra, the Skylight Opera Company, and the Greeley Philharmonic Orchestra. Bayliss has recorded with We Six, the album Vivid Dreams, recorded in 2020, Paul Syberglite's The Hidden Standard also released in 2020 and recorded with Eric Jacobson, Eric Shore, Sextet featuring Brian Lynch, Doug Lawrence, Liam Hughes, Who's Your Daddy Trio, Gene Woodall, Steve Weist, Bill Boniface Quartet, Don Linky, Julie Wood and Melvin Rhine, Kurt Hanrahan, and the Luis Diaz Quintet. He has also made numerous recordings to accompany books published by the Milwaukee-based Hal Leonard Publishing Company. In addition to performing at numerous jazz festivals and clubs, Dave also has extensive experience as a jazz festival adjudicator and ensemble director and teacher at music camps and clinics. He is an artist clinician for the Yamaha Corporation of America and the Zildjian Cymbal Company. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Mr. Dave Bayless. Hello, Dave. Hi, Greg. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's great to have you uh, on my podcast today. Well, thanks uh, really, for asking. Me. Yo, you bet. I've been looking forward to having you uh, as a guest, uh, as uh, you know, one of the more experienced uh, drummers in the greater Milwaukee area, and and uh, I have listeners all over the world. So what we we would like to do is is help them learn as much as uh, we can uh, relay to them about. Uh, the music scene in the Milwaukee area. I'm just going to start off, though, with some questions about about drumming. Uh, aside from the fact that most drum parts are not always the best written, if they're written at all, what are some of the biggest challenges for a jazz drummer?
1: Yeah, um, <clears throat> you're right about that. I mean, some, some parts, especially if you could dive back to like the early dance band era um like the 1930s and 40s you know the the drum parts are pretty much you see four quarter notes and they you know 600 measures later there's still four quarter notes so what do you do between that and i think the answer to not just that particular era but uh going into you know count basie uh, a little later count basie not the earlier stuff but the stuff from the 50s and 60s um, and the big bands that were starting to maybe get away from just being a dance band. I, I think that the key is doing your research and listening to the charts. And and just like you would with a symphony, you know, you get the score or you get the drum part, you listen to the drummer play on the recording and you make your own notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I've done. And then eventually, you know, that language becomes typical when you see something or even just knowing that, hey, this is a Count Basie chart or this is a Jimmy Lunsford chart or this is a Maria Schneider chart, um, you're going to have sort of a a repertoire in your head that when you see something uh, or when you hear it go by and it's not written in your chart, you know how to relate to that and what to do. Um, and that's that's one of the difficult things um, I think I find with younger students who you know when we're getting into chart reading and things like that um, you know you see these things they can read music but it's more than just reading it's interpretation what do mm-hmm. I do with these notes how do I how do I set this figure up what's what's an ensemble figure what's a section figure um, so these these are things that actually though if you listen to the recordings that gives you so much information and I just tell my students copy it, steal it. Uh, you won't remember any, everything anyways, but some of the key things are are really good. And then it's really diving into what I think we're talking about is transcribing.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I think when I, uh, when I've taught jazz ensembles, uh, or I'm taught private, private students about uh, playing jazz pieces, uh, often use the, the, the idea that jazz is a dialect of the musical language. And just like if you want to learn a particular dialect of English, for example, like if you wanted to speak English like uh, an Englishman instead of an American, you would need to listen to Englishmen speak to copy that particular dialect.
1: Exactly, it, yeah. it, it is truly a, a language, and 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 within the jazz language, there are, like you're saying, specific accents, and um, you can tell where someone is from. You know, you might be great, you know, uh, from Great Britain, but it's like where, you know,
0: and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's exactly that. I, I agree with you. Sure. I, well, and I think even like with big bands themselves, I think there's, there there is some distinction. So I've heard people say, and I think I hear it too, between say New York city-based big bands versus LA-based big bands. I I can't describe what that is. And as a horn player, certainly not to the extent that a drummer has to do. But of course, I understand that I have to play a lot of stuff that's not on the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, to to. Correctly interpret the style. But I want to throw something out at you that just as an interesting aside. You mentioned Count Basie, and uh, uh, several weeks ago, in fact, he was one of my earlier guests on my podcast. I interviewed Frank Green. Uh huh. And Frank Green is uh well he's he's played with Maynard Ferguson he's he was on the David Letterman show as a trumpet player but is most recently he's the the new lead trumpet player for the Count Basie band oh okay I didn't know that yeah yeah now of course with COVID I don't think they've been out on tour or done any recording or anything but Frank was I was we were talking about lead playing and uh, and the kind of we worked in somehow what's the hardest book he's ever played who has the hardest book and what he what was an interesting answer was he said the basie book strictly because it has such a long history and tradition and you want to play basie like basie you know so you've got to you've got to kind of help continue that tradition you can't reinvent something new and call it the count basie band So I thought that was interesting. And you're mentioning Basie as well, because he's, you know, he's had a had a slew of really great, uh, you know, drummers. And the last time I saw the Basie band, I think Butch Miles was playing drums. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: uh, of course, he played with him many, many moons ago as well. And and certainly has the style down. But. Well, you know, we talk about big band, but what are some basic differences, say, between big band drumming and small group drumming, where you may have even less guidance on the page than you would say in a big band arrangement?
1: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that question because I remember oh, maybe 15 years ago, I had read an article from a, a drummer that i really enjoy his work uh lewis nash and mm-hmm. that was a question that was uh, asked of him and he said there's no there is no difference and i at that time i guess maybe i was thinking you know like count basie versus you know playing with john coltrane or something like that i thought there is there's got to be a difference mm-hmm. but you know fast forward 15 20 years i i, I would have to say that I would agree with him more about that because um, obviously if we're talking about a specific era of jazz music and we're trying to, I don't want to say replicate in a in a negative way, but sort of a, a homage to someone who, you know, is got a style that's so influential like Basie um, that, you know, I think, um, that you know you are kind of bound a little bit by playing in that tradition, and and then of course obviously the, the the obvious difference is the size of the ensemble. So it's sort of like you've got sixteen or eighteen people to deal with, to be responsible for in a way, and um, you can't get too slick uh, in. in, in 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 your beat, I mean, your beat needs to be very clear. Uh, it, it is sure a, a lesson on how to play quarter notes on the ride cymbal, if you listen to <laughs> some of those great drummers, you know, yeah. and and you don't need more than that. I mean, that really, first of all, it just sounds good and it helps the rest of the band. I mean, you're trying to get 18 people on the same page in terms of where the pulse is and where the beat is mm-hmm. there's other things we do obviously like setting up figures and things like that in a small group um i'm not saying it's you don't have to be precise you, you sure do especially when the ensemble part is playing or the written part is but it's a sports car you can take faster turns you know mm-hmm. in a big band it's a bust and you make a fast turn <laughs> you'll tip <laughs> so you don't That's want to tip the band <laughs> You know, it's funny, my uh, f- friend of mine um, that I worked with uh, at this jazz camp at, at Whitewater University, which was run by Steve Wiest, an uh, mm-hmm. amazing trombonist, an educator, uh, and just just a heck of a good guy. Um, uh, he invited me to be on that camp, and I was, I was honored to do that. And that's actually where I met Frank Green and, and a whole bunch of people that either mm-hmm. played Macy or uh, Woody... Woody Herman and Maynard, Um, but my friend Dave Mancini was the other drummer, and he said, "He said you don't want to play stump the band. (laughs) (laughs) You're playing with a big band, and I'll never forget that. He's you know he's right. So it's about you know the the common things are really that the I I mean I guess you can play louder in a in a big band when you need that because you've got a lot of horns to support." But I, the the common thing is being clear um, mm-hmm. with your beat, with your setups. Uh, when the big band isn't playing, it's a small group. You know, if there's a soloist, you're back to a quartet or a quintet, mm-hmm. um, and then you have the the luxury to 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 move it around a little bit. Um, but I I think you know some of the the. The licks that you play, the fills, you know, the horn players know those drum licks <laughs> mm-hmm. and they want that. They hear that. They know when, you know, there's little cues that, that really help people out. So, but in terms of like shaping the band and shaping the ensemble, I think that way, and, and I should, I was going to say one other thing is that playing with confidence in both ensembles is really important. Um, it's not that you have to be an arrogant person as as a drummer, but I think you do. I think they do rely on you, and mm-hmm. you'll get the evil look if it's not working.
0: <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I agree. I think you know. The, I'm not a, not as a drummer. Uh, you know, as, as a trumpet player, I often think of the drummer in a in a combo as having. You're really on more equal footing. As opposed to in a big band, and I love your your metaphor, uh, driving a sports car versus driving a bus. That's an I'm going to use that. That's an sure. excellent example. But um, this kind of lead that what you just said leads me really to the my next question, because uh, a drummer, in my humble opinion, uh, is not only a contributor of the feel of the band because everyone in the band should be a timekeeper again in my humble opinion but you are also a percussive colorist Mm -hmm. what are some techniques you use to bring color to the drum set
1: well uh you know obviously you you have your toolbox of uh, sticks mallets brushes um and and then, you know, I typically just use a four piece drum set. Maybe, maybe I'll add another floor Tom now and then, um, you know, maybe, uh, depending on the big band itself, I might use larger size drums, uh, than I do with a, with a small group. I usually use a 18 inch bass drum with the small groups or a 16 inch. Uh, I like a little bigger, lower tune bass drum, um, that. Helps you know sort of punctuate some of the the uh, like trombones. Typically, I I use my bass drum to help uh, punctuate some of their rhythms. And then you know, depending on the you know, as you get into more modern big band writing, um, you know, I I guess I would start with maybe um, Thad Jones, Mel Lewis band. Um, Now, there's an example of of a drummer who is really playing. Whether he was playing uh in a big band or a small group, he was playing the same. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't mm-hmm. the it was totally the opposite of like Buddy Rich and, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But Mel Mel Lewis, the drummer, would would oftentimes use like the China symbol for a, a certain effect, a color. Uh he liked to ride on that that China symbol behind the saxophones quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you keep progressing, you know, Bob Brookmeyer and and people like that, then, you know, there are times where you're not playing necessarily a beat, you're still playing time, but it might be a little more ethereal. And so you might use mallets, you might use brushes for part of the tune and make a switch to sticks. Um, I mean, you have to really listen. And that type of stuff definitely is pretty vague in terms of it being written out. Oh sure, it might say you know symbols, but it doesn't tell you what rhythms to play on it, and mm-hmm. you know then you kind of reach in your your toolbox of recordings, and, and I, I think right away you know things like ECM label, what mm-hmm. you know they had a very open sounding kind of uh, groove going on, so you know you start to listen to some of those kinds of things where the symbol work is. Um, you know you don't want to lose the momentum but it's a thinner sound Mm -hmm. and those little swells can really help the composition Um, Mm -hmm. my last big band record I did some of that uh, with Johannes Wallman he's the uh, Mm -hmm. jazz director at at UW-Madison and uh, I did a big band record with him with his compositions and there was compositions like that where it wasn't Mm -hmm. just swinging and it was uh, other things which was I probably do less of that. So it was more of a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. do that all the time. It's no big deal. But so, yeah, I, I think, boy, we, we really have a lot of control with the dynamics, with cymbal swells, with little, you know, filigree going on to keep the music moving, even though it's very mm-hmm. light. So those are some of the things, you know, the brushes, obviously. Uh, but you don't always have to play a slow song uh, composition with with brushes it could be with sticks it could be with sticks and mallets it could be a combination
0: of both mm-hmm. sure sure you've got all those various implements Absolutely. and uh, and approaches and uh so you know and it's and it's always interesting i i personally enjoy uh-huh. listening to a drummer who takes what one could say is a melodically challenged instrument because the drums are not really considered to be a melodic instrument, but can be played in a melodic fashion. I think um, uh, Art Blakey, for example, uh, I was listening to one of his recordings the other day and uh, one of his solos and some of the things that, that he does, does make the drum set, I think, very melodic. You know, even those things when he would like press his elbow into the drum head to change the pitch, those kinds of things, but not just that, just other kinds of combinations of, of the drums and cymbals and, and uh, I I, uh, really, I like that kind of playing. I also really love to hear a drummer who can keep time. Well, or, you know, the time is there, but it's not obvious. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? like uh like uh it's like you were talking about ecm i think a lot of their music is 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 is, is that way where you're you there is no real hard and fast where's two and four but you know it's there you feel it in the in the totality of the ensemble anyway absolutely Absolutely. and and to me that's a that's you know along with obscure harmonies and dissonances and things those are things that really resonate in my uh, aesthetic gut if you will i like that kind of stuff
1: and i find it's it's difficult for young students to to even comprehend that because you don't hear that anywhere no i mean you you don't at least when i was coming up we had one radio station left or two we had two and then those disappeared so man i i sure uh I sure uh, realized the difference of not having jazz on the
0: on the airwaves. Oh man, I that used to really love <laughs> I was gonna say I used to love to listen to Ron Cousner. Absolutely. Oh man, and I miss that. I you know even I,
1: when I was young and I was you know being driven down to drum corps practices, uh, uh, in a radio Cousner was on. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and so you know I wasn't maybe into jazz as much, but. It was being played. And then I remember when I started getting into it, I was like, I've heard this before somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know where, you know, but that doesn't exist anymore. So it's
0: I'm I'm right there with you. I remember when I first came, when I first moved to Wisconsin, there were three radio stations, FM, terrestrial stations, that had Uh jazz. You had WWM, yep, and they would do jazz at night. They did classical music during the day, jazz at night, you had W Y M S. And then uh, 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 I can't remember. That was the the other station that uh, was all classical. And then they had Kuzner on at midnight. Oh, well,
1: anyway. Howard Austin. Yeah. WIMS who played, you know, the great classics, which mm-hmm. was, boy, I'm so glad he did. Because that was a great starting point for, for, yeah. for listening and understanding how to swing. So Just listen to the people he played, so.
0: Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's, it's unfortunate we don't have those, those anymore, but you know, we, it is a good thing. We have other, other uh, you know, types of formats that we can still at least access jazz and broaden our uh, listening horizons. If I may use that uh, uh, cliche. I mean, that's why I like, I like Sirius XM uh, Uh the jazz station, the classical station, there, that's how I, I find out about a lot of players or other things, of course, we run into online. But but I don't think, you're, I think you're right. The, my biggest challenge when I was teaching at the university was my students maybe had played in big band in high school but they really hadn't listened to a lot of jazz. And so trying to teach them the dialect, the language, if you will, was, was always the, the big challenge. Right. Anyway, in my experience, uh, a drummer who plays with a great feel and really great time makes my job as a trumpet player nearly effortless. I would even uh, go as far to say, although I won't say it too loudly, that with a really great drummer, you almost don't even need to count during rest because the drummer sets things up so well, you know exactly when to come in. So for aspiring drummers who might be listening, what is one great piece of advice you can give about developing playing with good time?
1: I think kind of what we've been saying, which is get some recordings and just play along with them and, and, and not even, I mean, I I tell my students, okay, let's turn on, um, something that's swinging. Maybe I I like to use Freddie the freeloader quite a bit, real simple. And, and you just work on your quarter notes and play along with, you know, Jimmy Cobb, you don't have to copy him. You Mm -hmm. don't even have to really learn the tune, just feel the bass, start to realize the connection between the ride cymbal and the bass player. And that eventually you guys or, or ladies, because there's some incredible Mm -hmm. female um, musicians out there these days, but you know, just, just understand that there's a relationship. I mean, I think one of the things is understanding your role and, and what, what sounds good. You, sometimes you have to ask people, how, do, how does that sound? I mean, I learned a lot about playing drums from non-drummers from mm-hmm. bass players, piano players, trumpet players. Um, I, I learned a lot. And and then sometimes they would say, no, just, just play that. And they're like, really? okay i can do that and sure enough when you go and listen back to it if you record it you go you know they're right it does sound good um i i think that that's really important the other thing is just frequency like anything else um when i used to teach uh at the milwaukee high school of the arts um as a sort of traveling music teacher and then when i was some other organizations we would do some workshops there um those kids were playing all the time Mm -hmm. all the time they would you know if if there's a study hall they're down in the music room and they're playing Mm -hmm. and you know they got good Mm -hmm. they got good and it's just it's the same thing with me i mean i you know you can practice but when i first started when i started gigging and i was i had i was lucky to have a actually seven night a week gig for many years all through college mm-hmm. that that boosted up my feel my understanding my hearing you know and and my understanding of what we should do i think the other thing i say about time and feel is that it doesn't always have to be on the grid you know where it's where it's exactly at the same point maybe the rhythm section is at the same point but listening to the horn players They don't have to be there. They have the freedom to play behind the beat, ahead of the beat. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But the mistake I made one time, there was a a, a wonderful, great saxophonist here uh, in Milwaukee named Haddish Alexander. And Haddish played way behind the beat on purpose. Mm -hmm. That was his style. It was almost like, I don't know, maybe like a Sonny Rollins type of influence, uh, early Sonny. I'm sorry, later Sonny. But, um, so what did I do? I was told, you know, make sure you lock in with everybody. So I started following the saxophone and it got slower and he'd lay back more and it got slower. <laughs> Finally he pulled a <laughs> horn out of his mouth and turned around and just started laughing at me. And so it's, sometimes it's not about your time. It's not about your feel. It's about understanding that there's going to be a rub in the time mm-hmm. and plow through it because mm-hmm. those people are relying that you're going to have that that right. canvas for them to to paint you know so to speak and I, got uh, th- I think that's that's a big thing but playing with records frequency have jam sessions um i'm i'm going to have another i i do two jam sessions a a week at people's houses especially coming out of the pandemic just to we're athletes, you know, I mean, we can practice, but we got to also practice playing with each other. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing more of that lately, but I, all those things help contribute to a better time feel. Um, I think, I, I don't know how else it happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's just like, it's just like anything else. The more you do it, the, you know, and if you're doing it, um mindfully you're going to get better at it i mean it's absolutely like, and
1: that's, um, that's a i like your word mindfully i mean you can't just mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta think about it and then you gotta forget about it yeah But there's a time where you are a little anal about it and you're a little you know okay you don't want to drive yourself crazy uh, but you gotta think about it you gotta be mindful i like that yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I have. I I tell you, I think that's been a great experience for me, uh, particularly during the pandemic. uh, In that, I I chose to spend the downtime because other than you know, I haven't had a gig or a rehearsal since March of last year. Well, other than Memorial Day, I did finally play out on Memorial Day, Uh, but uh, I made a conscious decision I was going to really focus on improving my. Playing. I mean, really fine tune things. And uh, uh, to the point where, you know, I might be playing an etude or something. And if, if I made a, a little mistake, I might just, oh, I'll get it later. No, I'll go back and, and just, ha- you know, really, and, and again, mindful. And my teacher at North Texas, John Haney, he, he probably never would have used the word mindfulness or i mean at least certainly in the context of what we have today but he certainly knew what that meant because i always will go back i mean more recently here and remember that he told me you can only play one note at a time think about one note at a time you know and 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 i have found that that focus has really helped up my game so I, you know, students that are listening, Dave's uh, suggestion, excellent. uh, But, you know, it's just like anything else. You're not gonna get uh, better at it just by, you know, running through the, uh, you know, run through things without really thinking about what you're doing, so.
1: And I, I think for the young students who are listening to this, call your friends, have a session, tell your parents, hey, I wanna play with my friends. Can we do it? You know, Saturday downstairs in the basement, mm-hmm. and and back to your mindfulness thing. Have a goal when you come mm-hmm. over. Let's learn this this these tunes out of the real book, and not only grab those books, but let's listen to a couple versions. And you know, let's actually sit down and listen to that, mm-hmm. and see if we can kind of like pick up some of the things that these famous musicians are doing.
0: Mm-hmm
1: instead of just, you know, just jamming, rocking out, that's okay too, you know, but, yeah. um, you know,
0: I mean, it should be, it should be fun. Music should still be fun. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we play music. We don't suffer music. We don't yeah, toil right. music. We don't slave at music. We play music. Right. It, is, it is fun, but they're also, but I, I understand your point. There's a difference between, you know, having uh, kicks versus getting some work done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd like to shift gears just for a little bit. Sure. Because you're very active in the Milwaukee music scene. So for my listeners who may be unfamiliar, uh, would you talk a bit about the jazz scene in Milwaukee prior to the COVID-19 shutdown last March and some of the places that hopefully we will get back to listening to live jazz in Milwaukee?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, for me, uh, You know, I was playing a lot. Um, You know, I'd say on average four times a week uh, I had a gig. And then, of course, uh, when COVID hit hard, um, you know, very little. Um, In fact, I had even moved uh, from my home in Milwaukee to uh, uh, my cabin in northern Wisconsin. (laughs) And I I taught there. I taught um, my nephew is a, a videographer. And I said, look, I need to have these lessons online, but I want them to be able to see certain things. What do I need? Mm-hmm. And of course he sent me a list and I almost, you know, fell over when I saw the prices of it. But anyways, I, I made the plunge and I, you know, I started to teach online and I had four cameras that it, it the, the long story short is it worked. Um, it, you know, I, Uh, had a student that um, finished up with me after four years he got accepted at a a couple big uh, jazz schools and he's going to Kansas City to study with Carl Allen next Mm
0: -hmm. and Mm -hmm.
1: so uh, we got stuff done which which was great Um, now um, Milwaukee is an interesting town I mean I kind of think about it as like maybe a little a smaller version of detroit and indianapolis where it's sort of the rust belt area but it's and it's a sort of a blue collar town and but you had these great musicians and i i I wonder sometimes it's the work ethic of you know those cities that transferred over to you know being a dedicated musician um but i milwaukee had you know Buddy Montgomery here for, for many years. Um, and then some of the the younger players from Buddy would be like Dave Hazeltine, Brian Lynch, Gerald Cannon, and then the, the next generation, Dan Nimmer who's playing with Witten Marsalis these days. And, uh, I mean, it has a, for, for a town as big as it is, it has, or as small as it is, maybe I should say it has a lot of great musicians that have gone on and, and, um, know had successful careers and that that doesn't happen just because you move somewhere i mean you have to have the the training before you move um so i think that tradition is is still around and it's not to say that's the only thing i like because i I like you know and i'm saying in, in sort of a straight ahead kind of uh jazz um uh approach to to playing jazz music there's many approaches and many styles of, that we know, but um, those are some some you know just some great great people that have uh, gone on to to do some things and left some uh, I think left some influences here. Um, but i I've enjoyed playing a lot of straight ahead jazz, big band, um, a lot of recording work uh, through Hal Leonard. That's been kind of fun, um, and you know i'm i'm looking at some other projects that are coming up that are a little different to kind of get out of my comfort zone so sort to of mm-hmm. speak
0: because mm-hmm.
1: i think that's important to not just sort of get lazy
0: <laughs> right got yeah, to grow
1: uh, to to grow and and to find out wow yeah I, I i was pretty sure i couldn't do that and now that just confirms i can so i need to work on that so but okay. yeah i think i think that the scene is is healthy uh in terms of You know, I think you know about the Milwaukee Jazz Institute that I'm involved in. And there's just some really good – there's good players out there that even though we talked about not having a radio station and all that kind of stuff, there, I think the education aspect of jazz music uh, has made a difference. Mm -hmm. And um, getting a hold of these kids when they're in junior high, we have a a junior high combo that just – I can't believe that they're in junior high. I mean, they're really, they're really improvising in a, in a cohesive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nice lines are they're developing. They're actually speaking in the jazz language. It's, it's amazing. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's, I think for me, it's been a healthy scene and anytime I play with people from um whether it's, you know, New York, Chicago or LA or, or place in between, I never feel like unprepared. And mm-hmm. when I play with them, I feel like I play with my my friends here that you know there's not a there's not a huge drop off or change. And, and, and in and many cases it's not even as good. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. But you know. Yeah. So I mean I I yeah, I I like Milwaukee, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I love mm-hmm. New York. New York is a special place.
0: Yeah. All well, the city. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've interviewed some people from New York. Uh, actually on Monday I was just interviewing Greg August, whose new album uh-huh. is, is nominated for a Grammy. He's a bass player, composer, arranger. And uh, you know, and that's how we talked about New York, but getting back to Wisconsin, I, you're, talking about great players reminded me I don't if you're familiar with uh, Kurt Dietrich's book uh, Wisconsin Lifts Jazz Profiles from the Heartland and for people out there listening uh, uh, Kurt's book is about all the great jazz uh, musicians and educators that have come out of Wisconsin and um, the Milwaukee area and uh, so I just want to give a, give a plug for that because Dave, your comments made me think of Kurt's book.
1: Kurt's book is excellent. And uh, it, I mean, Kurt is such an articulate individual as a, as a educator, as a player. And, and now I realize as a writer yeah. um, and I have his book, I, um, it's, it's just a fascinating book. It's, it's really uh, I think it was an important thing it nothing you read through that book and you go yeah spot on Kurt so yeah pick that book up anybody who's listening
0: it's really worth it yeah yeah it really gives you some good insights into uh you know I mean it goes beyond Woody Herman and Buddy Berrigan and Al Jarreau who are yeah. from Wisconsin I mean but it, and it talks about a lot of other really great musicians and educators uh, uh, in in our area. So, well, Absolutely. thank you. Well, I'd like to give something a little more specific, uh, Dave. Tell my listeners about the band We Six, we and six. Uh, and particularly about your new release uh, that hasn't been out that long, no. uh, called uh, entitled "Vivid Dreams." Right.
1: So, We Six. Um, it's. Uh, Mark Davis is our musical director. Uh, he is our pianist. And um, we have Eric Jacobson on trumpet. Uh, on this record, we have uh, Eric Shore on tenor saxophone, Jeff Hammond on bass, Paul Stubbergleit on guitar, and myself. That's six, I hope. I miss him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not counting.
1: I think you got
0: yeah,
1: So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun group. We've been together over 20 years. Uh, It was the artists and residents group at the conservatory, Wisconsin conservatory for, for a long, long time. And um, throughout our our concert series, uh, because it's a unique group in terms of the instrumentation, we used a lot of times the guitar as another horn. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I don't know how many arrangements are, are out there in originals, but I, I don't know. I would say probably 200, maybe, wow. of, of, of stuff that, that the guys have written. And so um, in 2018, uh, our tenor player, Eric Shore, was leaving Milwaukee and moving. And so we said, you know, we need to document this version of We Six. Uh, Mm -hmm. Before Eric, it was Berkeley Fudge, one of our mentors. Um, And so uh, we did that, we went to the studio, we said, let's make it all originals. And so I think we have three originals from Mark Davis and two each from Paul and the two Erics. And Jeff and myself did not contribute to that at that point. And um, Vivid Dreams is Mark's composition. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I gotta say, I mean, I'm just, you know, I play with these guys all the time, but I I just listened to that record recently and I don't typically like to listen to myself too much, but I do because, you know, you have to and make improvements. And, but uh, the writing is just, you know, I just, I'm in awe of, of their compositional skills. And it has a sound, and if you had to label it, it sort of has that hard bop kind of sound. Uh, not everything is all swing, but um, it's, it's a, I think, it's a spirited album. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the playing is great on everybody's part. Um, I'm happy with the recording sound, which is always tricky um, to get the sound that you hear in your head. And we let's see it was myself mark paul and our engineer larry Filibom that mixed that record now we did it in 2018 we kind of ran out of money uh to finish it <laughs> correctly so it kind of got shelved for a little while and then we've we did get some help finding uh finding some you know financial uh contributions to finish the record and then we finally did that um and it was all done here in milwaukee and um yeah it's starting to get some some airplay we, we although we recorded in 2018 it didn't come out till 2020 and then of course we had this pandemic so you know we're we're trying to send some things out and i think the goal with we six is to play more festivals around the country sure and uh i think our, our next one is speaking of kurt dietrich uh and that whole group matrix uh john Mm Harmon lives in uh nina area and he runs the fox jazz fest which is one of my favorite festivals and we'll be playing up there uh we six will be playing there uh labor day weekend of this year so uh but it's a it's a great group we have we have a lot of fun rehearsing we all kind of um you know we we try things out the first time and we usually do one or we, we were doing two rehearsals and then a concert and then it got to the point where everybody was so busy with other projects we said we got to get this done in one rehearsal so write clearly <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and make sure it it works before you bring it in and right and those guys are those guys are so accurate that it's it works
0: well but, you know i i you you may already know this, now that I'm interviewing you, I'm halfway through the group. because oh, okay. I, because I've, I've already interviewed Eric. Eric is one of my, my guests oh, early on and then uh, Mark, uh, let's see, I think I interviewed him in March or April oh, and cool. uh, now you and I should put the word out to the other three guys, I'm coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> because I want I want to talk to all th- all six of the the group because in, in many ways you are the preeminent uh, jazz combo in the Milwaukee area I mean there's there's uh, I mean there's some other you know fine players don't get me wrong but uh, your you know uh, status in the area certainly is unquestionably uh, sterling so um, I definitely, you know, wanted to have you as a guest, and uh, of course Mark and Eric, and and I will be after uh, uh, Jeff and Paul, uh, sure. and for interviews as well. So I catch all of you, but but because uh, yeah, I love the recording. I mean, I think there's some great playing there, and and yeah. writing and writing. So. Yeah. Well, who have been your primary influences as a jazz player and more importantly, why? Yeah, that's a, the
1: why part is cool. I you know, I guess I could go through the the list I, I, on one one level, my description would be anybody who's on Blue Note Records, <laughs> any <laughs> okay. that's on Blue Note or Verve or Impulse. Uh, <laughs> those are my favorites. And that, that would include Art Blakey, who you mentioned earlier, Philly Joe Jones, Max Roach, uh, Art Taylor, A.T., uh, Tony Williams and um, Roy Haynes. And then I, I love the big band stuff too. So I'd always check out people like Joe Jones with the Basie band. In fact, all the Basie drummers, even though they all played the same charts, um, they all played it differently. And I love Joe Jones and Harold, Harold Jones. I love Mel Lewis. I, I told you his name. And then, you know, some of the, the uh, uh, drummers that are around today, like Jeff Hamilton uh, my, my good friend in Chicago, George Flutus, a terrific drummer, a musician uh, who's played with everybody as well. Um, Adam Nussbaum, I recently kind of struck up a uh, relationship with him again. Um, I had him at an Abersol camp, and he's the one that said, you know, at Abersol camps, they would have these record stores upstairs. And you could buy records, right? Mm-hmm. So Adam says, hey, kid, how much money you got? And I said, uh, 50 bucks. He goes, okay, let's go. And he <laughs> grabbed me by my wrist and said, come on. He goes, you got this? No, get that. Got this? No. How much money you got left? <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that was it. And I reminded him of that. And, and interesting enough, my uh, colleague, Russ Johnson, uh, who is a jazz director at UW Parkside, had the exact same story. I'll be done that Adam grabbed him by his wrist and pulled him upstairs and said, you got to have this, got to have this guy, have that. And, and, and Adam has not changed. He is still mm-hmm. uh, full of energy and, and love for the music. So I have a, a connection with him, Carl Allen. I love his playing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's a friend. Uh, so we, you know, a lot of times we talk and it's not even about music, but um, sure. uh but anyways, yeah, those are some of the guys. And why, there's a great quote from um, Louis Belson about Art Blakey, and, and he said, Mother Nature unleashed. And I, I thought, wow, that's beautiful, because that's what he could be. But, you know, the, one of the things about all these guys that I mentioned is that they always put the composition first. Mm-hmm. I mean, Blakey could play a composition. He knew not only the right beat, but when to keep it simple and feature the artist. And the other thing I got from Blakey is he knew when a person had another gear, Mm -hmm. another another level to play. And Mm -hmm. I, I witnessed it one time in Chicago where there was a trombonist playing and Blakey, was not digging it he just Mm -hmm. was not and he did he did his typical thing where he did this big crush roll slammed on the cymbal and shouted something out and the next set that trombone player was like a different trombone player so um you know it's just he heard the whole thing and i think that's the thing i try to do is hear the whole composition the whole band not just yourself Mm Mm-hmm. And um, so he had, you know, that approach. Philly Joe had this amazing hand technique and another person that could play, you know, the hits with a band and it never gotten away. When he soloed, it was his solo, you know, but always perfect, always in time. And Elvin Jones, too. I mean, Elvin would take that beat, we talked about time earlier, and just move it around. But man, 32 bars was 32 bars. And, and you'd swear he was off, but no, if you count it, it's, it's dead on. Sure. You know, over the, the pandemic, um, Craig, I was um, doing a couple uh, presentations for Milwaukee Jazz Institute. And I picked uh, Art Blakey. I picked um, Philly Joe Jones. And I picked Roy Haynes. So I, I kind of prepared for like six weeks. I mean, even though I studied these guys early on, I think the sign of a true master is you, you find something else. You go, mm-hmm. no way. Did that? I missed that the first 10 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it was amazing. Uh, and it again, it just kind of confirmed to me that you have to study these masters because it it gives, it, it gives you that open gate to try stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: and to discipline yourself you know so oh, the, these guys yeah. are are great mel lewis is is someone i just man like it's it's very difficult to play like him in, in a big band you, you go how can that work and yet it does it doesn't sound anything like you know papa joe jones or i don't know buddy rich of course mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. all incredible musicians mel had this other style that I, I think what I really like about him is he, he really had the sort of the audacity to play like that. <laughs> and it worked. It was so musical. It was so perfect.
0: Well, I think so, one of the great things about the Thad Jones Mel Lewis big band is it was made up of such great musicians in every chair. Yeah, I mean, there absolutely. were, there were no weak links. And the fact that it started as a kicks band on Monday nights, you know, and they had to have charts that we're going to be challenging because no one's going to have fun playing, you know, dumb guy third parts all night long, right? Right. Uh, right. And and Mel, Lou, or excuse me, Thad Jones, Mel Lewis charts are challenging right down first, second, third, fourth trumpet part, from my experience. Certainly, the same way in the rest of the the horn parts, and I think that when you talk about Mel Lewis taking chances he probably felt like he could do that because of the environment he was in. He knew, I think he probably, I'm only speculating. I've never heard anything or said anything, but I speculate because he knew the environment he was in that regardless of what he tried, the other guys in that band would respond and make it work.
1: Absolutely. And I, I, you know, the, the kind of musician at FAD was, I mean, that family, you know, Hank oh. and Elvin, I mean, yeah all very different different sounds all you know all great musicians but they
0: it wasn't like they all played the same they were yeah. very
1: different I'll,
0: so never, I'll never forget the first time somebody told me they were brothers and i went what i know they don't sound it, at all alike no uh, all different approaches to
1: it i mean obviously thad probably could have had his brother elvin playing drums right uh but but he heard something in his head and Mel was the one that 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 fit that for sure and, and probably vice versa, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, an incredible band. I, I hear those solid state recordings and I
0: just I, I shake my head, I go, man, that's just perfect.
1: Mm-hmm. So well, anyway. I,
0: I feel privileged. I had two, I, I got to hear the Thad Jones Mel Lewis band live. Oh, good live for you. Twice. The one tour that they did. They did one tour back in, I'm going to say, 77, 78. And I heard them once, uh, our jazz band from the university. At that time, I went to Boise State University. We went to the Costa Mesa Jazz Festival, and the Thad Jones-Mel Lewis Big Band was playing at that festival. And then we had them at Boise State. Oh, probably two, three weeks later. So I got to hear him again. And uh, just, you know, what a thrill to hear those guys play and uh, just what a remarkable big band they were. You know, Dave, you've mentioned it a couple of times, and I'm going to skip down my list of questions that I've sent you because I want to make sure and jump on this. But you, sure. you've talked about the Milwaukee Jazz Institute, and I'd like my listeners to hear more about it uh, from your perspective. When did it start, and what is the scope and mission of the institute, and and how are you approaching teaching during this time of the pandemic?
1: Well, uh, this you know we started just before the pandemic, so you know time yeah. couldn't, have been, couldn't have been worse in, in some ways. Uh, on the other hand, with that said, um, the amount of online things that we've been doing is is incredible. I mean, i've I've given a lot of workshops. I've also taken some workshops from my from my colleagues because they're they're so exceptional in in, in teaching improvisation, and uh, we have, you know, history thrown in there. Uh, Paul Silbergleit's been doing a lot of that. Um, It's, you know, it's the core of it is We Six, but we've expanded it to actually some of our our former students. Uh, Mm -hmm. Devin Dropka, a terrific drummer, um, is involved in in, uh, MJI now, a young saxophonist named, Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Uh, Leonard Simpson. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. There are a few more. Um, I'm just drawing a blank on all these guys, but but we've expanded it. And, um, you know, it's a it's a healthy thing to do that. Uh, I I like hearing the younger cats play because they bring something different, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we don't want to get set in their ways and there's a lot of ways to approach jazz music and and then there's a lot of students who you know will relate to something different you know uh it might not be my approach maybe it's someone else's but the the point is that you know the 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 group even though the organization is new uh we have all been together for over 25 years sure and uh we had uh, left another institution and just kind of at, you know, at that point in our careers where we, we wanted to really focus on jazz and not other areas. Um, and I, it's so far, it's been really cool. Um, I start Adult Big Band in July. Mm. We've been holding a lot of our um, combos. I think we have four running right now. Uh, we've been doing a lot of that stuff at the uh, old jazz gallery which is still called the Jazz Gallery, but it's also an art gallery, and that's on the east side of Milwaukee. And, boy, that was a club where I heard Max Roach and uh, uh, Art Blakey and a ton of other people back in the early 80s. So it's kind of cool that you're in the same room that those guys played. And it's got a beautiful grand piano there, a drum set that's there all the time. So it's been a great fit for us. Oh, super. Super. It's really, really been cool. So uh, we have a camp coming up, uh, not this week, but the week after. And we're holding that at the Hilton Hotel, downtown Milwaukee. And that's for um, high, middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. And that's shaping up pretty nicely. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. It's, uh, uh, obviously, I love, I love all the guys that, that are there that, you know, I have great admiration for all of them. And um, you know, it's just uh, it's a good it's a it's a good fit for all of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you guys have been like I said you've been together for a long, long time. You yeah. play together well. You're great friends, and then that comes yeah. across in the cohesiveness of of the playing. I mean, I mean, those are all things that I think we as musicians can relate to. I, I think non musical people sometimes don't always quite understand. The relationship uh, that one musician playing with another, and the importance, uh, you know, of that particular relationship, and sharing that common uh, language. Yeah. In, in effect, I mean, we're actually sort of like, uh, you know, uh, communicating in a in a way that uh, I, a lot many people sometimes don't understand, which then kind of leads me to another question. Uh, I want you to put your educator adjudication adjudicator clinician hat on for just a minute because you've had a lot of experience in all of those areas and we've talked about the importance of listening, but how else can you help a student overcome the challenges of learning to be a jazz musician? Yeah, yeah.
1: That's a question I'm always asking myself in a way. I mean, you know, a long time ago, I think the laws, the tavern laws and things like that were a little looser, where a kid could come into a place where there was music and alcohol being served, and they could hear the music live. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I was one of those people, And, and that's changed quite a bit. So now, even when I'm teaching my university students, I so, said, oh, you should come down and, and hear the group tonight. And I said, well, I'm not 21. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, 21? Yeah. That's a long time to wait, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, in education, where we try to do what we can, we bring people in. But I still believe, and I think a lot of people would maybe have the same sentiment that being in a club, being out of academia, so to speak, is still something unique there's a, a certain dynamic that happens that, you know, um, even though I, I went to school for music and, and that kind of thing, it was actually the clubs that I learned how to play. And, and sometimes, you know, the, the mentors you had, uh, they, they sure did not take any pedagogy classes and <laughs> they would just tell you, man, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, all these, these drummers that I mentioned, you know they would, they would, um, they would be like that too to to the up and coming. You know, it's like no sugarcoating, mm-hmm. and and that's important. It might hurt for a yeah. minute, but and it's not because I think they were mean. I think it's because they had a great love for the music, and they want to keep the level high. And if you're not willing to do that, you kind of get
0: you get that lecture i guess sure well i think i remember i remember a story it was maybe in the ken burns documentary on on jazz and it was somebody who was talking about some of the great uh, stride pianists and and how you'd go and sit down and play and and the way he put it he says first they give you a spanking and then they teach you something
1: yeah you know, that's, that's true. I, you know, there, yeah. I, I learned one of my mentors was Manti Ellis and um, I was on the gig and he was on a gig and he didn't have a choice, but to put up with me for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I remember, and I was telling this to, uh, I can't remember who it was recently. I played with him for over a year and, you know, not, not too much response. Sometimes he would say something, but very little, and after about a year or so, one day I got a phone call. He said, uh, Dave, Mantee. said, hey, Mantee, what's up? And I'm thinking, like, is he going to fire me or what? He goes, yeah, I'm just calling until you uh, sound okay last uh, night. <laughs> and so that was that was a big deal. Sure it to, was. Where it was like, okay, at least it's, it's headed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know it's interesting their way of educating wasn't dictating to you or telling you what to play they just played they sometimes would look over at you and, and play some stuff and you knew that they were hearing something that they didn't that they thought you should not do that or you should do this and once in a while he would say man you know just get in there get in there and it was kind of cryptic mm-hmm. in a way but it made you think about what are they trying to say.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Without without
0: being you know without without overloading you. I understand? Well, you know, and and sometimes I think language is inadequate to describe music. Yes. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I hear what you mean. So when someone says "get in there," what does that mean? Well, yeah, what does that mean? Uh, you know, you kind of have to kind of figure that out, and uh, you know. Well, you mentioned Manti, and and you certainly have worked with many remarkable musicians uh, during your career, and what have been some of the most standout moments that you would share with my audience?
1: Well, you know, I think some of those moments are not always with the biggest names, although those are Mm -hmm. always a thrill. I'll tell you, since we were talking about Mantee, I remember one night playing with him and there was nobody in the audience. It was just the trio. And I was kind of slacking, I think. And I, and he kind of said something. I said, well, there's nobody here. He goes, I'm here. <laughs> and that I was like, okay, I I either need to change my attitude or, or get out of this. And what it made me realize is here's this guy who can play anything and he's playing his tail off to nobody. He's mm-hmm. playing, he's playing it to the history of the music. So that was a huge, you know, it was real short response, but man, that was like a lecture. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, golly. Uh, I, I mentioned Steve Wiest, um, you know, such a, a gentleman that, I felt like I shouldn't have been on that camp. And yet, because the other drummer who couldn't make it and I got the call, he kept me on that camp for 17 years uh, with some other people. And I grew, I didn't have the same experience, especially in the big band world. In the combo world, I felt more comfortable. Uh, He was was a terrific educator, uh, just a a good person. So Mm -hmm. he was someone I remember quite a bit. Uh, Most recently we, we did something with um, Benny Golson. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a thrill because my first combo tune I played with, I I was in this group called Summer Street and it used to be held at Washington Park and Berkeley Fudge was the the instructor. Um, And we played Killer Joe. That was the first tune I played. Well, you know, down the road now, uh, about four years ago, we play, we're playing with Benny Golson, and we're playing Killer Joe, his tune, mm-hmm. and he gave a, a a whole you know background information to the audience about who was Killer Joe and all that stuff. So here I am playing Killer Joe with Benny Golson. I mean that was like, I mean you can't get starstruck because you're on the stage and you got to produce, but I think we are all feeling it. It's sure. right. Sure. Oh, wow. This is Benny Golson. And he was, uh, he, uh, who else would I put in that category slide Hampton? I've played with a, a number of times, just complete gentlemen mm-hmm. and no pretentiousness. It's all about the music. It's all about, um, sharing their knowledge. You know, when we asked about it, they didn't, mm-hmm. I find that those guys don't typically live in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, um, And so that, but he just, you know, he would tell some, some great, Benny Golson is such a great storyteller and he's got that, you know, that real um, articulate, uh, almost like a proper English um, uh, dialect in a way. It's, it's kind of fascinating, but anybody who's worked with him knows what I'm talking about. He just, he just, I think he's enjoyed playing and that he's, able to continue, like all of us, do it for as long
0: as you can, you know? Yeah, yeah. and I love Benny Golson's music. I just, oh. uh, I've got, I don't know how many charts I've got in, of uh, Benny Golson's that are in my book for my band, but uh, yeah, it's great stuff. Well, I, I, I've i got, uh, as we're getting kind of down towards the end of our, our discussion, I'm gonna yeah. ask you a question I've asked yeah. every jazz musician I've interviewed. And so I'm going to ask you, Dave, what is it that makes jazz unique in comparison to other styles of music?
1: Well, that's, that's an interesting question. I, you know, I teach a jazz improv, I'm sorry, a jazz appreciation class. And there's one thing that I hope they get from it at the end. And uh, they typically do, but I, I think the word is improvisation. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's, the, that's what really separates what we do um, from other types of music. And yes, there's improvisation and, and other types of music, but the, the level of improvisation is extremely high. And it it's, you know, the tunes are important, the arrangements are important, but, you know, how many times have I heard a really young band, the ensemble sounds really good, and then it's time for improv, and it, it drops down to, a very beginner level right um, so you you know you realize that the better the improviser you are the more you understand how, your balance in a group or what parts should come out more um how to how to uh, articulate notes without even having to talk about it um, so yeah the improvisation the i think the the storytelling um, mm-hmm. is is extremely important. And I, I heard that expression for years and I didn't quite understand it. But when you get to a certain point where, I don't know, playing music is not like something you do at three o'clock in the afternoon, where, in other words, where it's with you all the time, mm-hmm. that when you put your, your horn in your hands, whatever that horn is, you have to you have to tell a story and it has to, it has to be filled with um, interest.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise. Well, I, no, I agree. I, you know, I used to use, I used to use the, uh, uh, I used to talk about improvisation as like telling a good joke. Uh, you have to have, you know, a great setup that is familiar so that it kind of lures the listener in. And then you have the punchline, which is the part that is funny. And therefore, then you get that hedonically negative response inside of you that makes you laugh. And a good solo is sort of that way. You you include, you know, a, a certain amount of familiarity, maybe uh, playing within the chord structure, for example, but then maybe you play a little bit outside the changes or, or you lay back like your saxophonist friend to create that rub, to create that conflict and then resolution. And so that storytelling musically is that conflict, that distance followed by that resolution and relief. And uh, and I think that's that's one of the things that's always gassed me about great jazz players. Right. I, I think it's you know, I, I, I happen to
1: like the old. Uh, oh, like Dom DeLuise and uh, uh, Buddy Hackett and all those old comedians <laughs> where where they're telling, you know, the punchline is coming. But like you said, I mean the way they set it up is just, that's funny in itself. That's, that's effective in itself. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like everything's a punchline, even though it's not the punchline yet. Uh, that's because you know, they're, they're well-crafted. It, it looks like they're just kind of making it up, but you know, they've practiced it. Sure. You know, they're working at nonstop when they're driving down the street, they're working on their craft. You know, I mean, I, I think that's, that's the ultimate thing that it doesn't matter if you're a computer programmer, if you're thinking about that all the time and you're putting in the 10 to 15,000 hours, you're going to get good at it. <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. If you, if you do it right. So, but yeah, I think the, I mean, I've, I, I, have, and I, I not as much I have, like I, I play in, in an orchestra. I, I remember I was in Italy for six weeks playing with an orchestra kind of early in my career Still, kind of figuring things out, you know. Like, am I going to play jazz and do this other stuff as well? And I remember playing. I remember one night where I was playing with the Milwaukee Ballet Company, and we finished that run. And then i I would go and play at the Jazz Estate, which is one of the mm-hmm. longest running jazz clubs in the Milwaukee area. And I I could hardly play. I I was still at the at the ballet orchestra. I was still in that time frame that that I call it like a pulse frame because everything is different. And I finally said, "Okay, Bayless, you, you got to choose. You can't do both. What, what do you want to do? do? Forget about what your teachers wanted you to do. My teacher, one of my influential teachers, was a, a great uh, orchestra player and timpani player, and he wanted me to be an or, uh, a timpanist. That's kind of oh. why I went to uh, Italy to play in this orchestra for a while." But the time feel is so different. Yeah, sure. Uh, It it really is. I mean, when, when uh, I know this is not a video, but if I'm conducting, when I hit one, that's where I want to be, but it's not there. And so you have to make that adjustment. And um, I couldn't do both. I could not go back and forth.
0: Yeah. I I,
1: I suppose there are some people out there who can, but
0: mm
1: Um, not for me, but yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the improvisation, but I guess what I just said is the feel of the music. Sure. That's, that's, that's something that I had to learn
0: sure. and still learning. I, I think. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, when the fruit ripens, all that's left for it to do is to fall off the tree and rot. Yeah. So I hope <laughs> I, I hope I never get ripe. I speak. I,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: No, well, it's,
1: it's, I, I think if you can get to a point where you, you can at least listen to yourself on a recording and go, well, it's it's mostly better than bad, then, yeah. then that's yeah. <laughs> good. Then,
0: then you're in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. But there's always room for improvement or whatever. Yeah, I understand. Well, Dave, what are some of your next projects uh, that we can look forward to? You mentioned about the adult big band. That you're yeah. starting in July, are you uh, are you writing any uh, any books or doing any new recordings or writing any music? Um, I'm not I'm not
1: writing anything. I uh, will be doing another record soon with a, another group that I've been playing with for uh, you know, it, as long as we six. Uh, it's an organ group, B3 organ. Uh, that's with Dan Trudell, a terrific uh, organist. Uh, out of the well he works mostly in chicago but he lives in wisconsin and uh, mike Standle on guitar mm-hmm. and uh, we call ourselves the who's your daddy trio i don't know oh, how sure. came up, but uh so we finally have said to you know to each other we got to document this so mm-hmm. uh, we start rehearsing next week wednesday and we'll do two rehearsals and then we're going to do the record so um, it's, I think for that group, it's a kind of a unique group. We just sort of, I mean, there's times where we haven't played together for a year and we get a gig, we don't rehearse and somehow the, it feels great.
0: Yeah. It's uh, sort of like riding a bike, you know, you get back on of. and away you go.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, mostly we just forget about our arrangements because we change it so much. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> But that's coming up. Um, yeah, cool. Monday, I have a drum set camp I run. Uh-huh. And I'm doing that at Marquette University High School. Mm-hmm. So that'll start on Monday. That'll run for the week. And then we have our Milwaukee Jazz Institute camp the following week for a week. Um, And uh, I think... I'm just, gigs have been coming back. I, sure. I worked last night. I worked tonight with a terrific uh, group at, at blue it's the Fister mm-hmm. hotel. They, they feature music there. So yeah, it's, you know, slowly, but surely trickling in and uh, it just feels great to play for people.
0: Yeah, really good. Well, I can't <laughs> believe <laughs> I, I was jonesing pretty bad, not playing. I didn't realize how much I missed it till I agreed. I agreed uh, to play a gig on Memorial day because it was an open air, uh, you know, venue. And, uh, I had forgotten how good it felt to sit down with my friends in the band and play. Yeah. And uh, so I'm right there with you, but Dave, is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience that I haven't asked you about?
1: Um, not really. I mean, you, you really hit some, some great, great questions, Craig, and I really appreciate that. And, and uh, really nice to talk to another musician about music and, uh, um, and all the great stuff you've done. Uh, well, now was it called, it was called Waukesha. Uh, oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the university of Wisconsin colleges, which UW Waukesha was a part of has been dissolved now, right. I, uh, it is the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee at Waukesha. The Milwaukee okay. campus and the Washington County campus formed what we call the College of General Studies within the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And one gotcha. of the cool things that the state of Wisconsin has is, you see, I retired from full-time teaching in 2017. Okay, But after a waiting period, you can come back and they'll hire you back part time. So I've still been doing the band, uh, the symphonic band. And, uh, uh, you know, since then, of course, last year, nothing because of uh, the pandemic, nothing since March of 2020, but we're hoping to start up again this next fall. So I've, I've got that going, plus uh, I also conduct the Southeastern Wisconsin New Horizons Band, which is uh, a, uh, a group for older adults. Most of the people in that group are in their 70s and 80s, and that rehearses at White House of Music once oh, cool. a week. And then most of our gigs, we play uh, uh, nursing homes and assisted living centers and so on. And then I, Yeah, and then I've got uh, a brass quintet, I play in the Jazz Express Big Band, I, and then I have six other small groups that I front, uh, di- different jazz groups, because I have a, a wide range of tastes, so my modern jazz group is called Horns, uh, with two Zs on the end. And uh, we've played at the Jazz Estate and the Carolines and at a club, wonderful club at Madison called Cafe Coda. It's oh, sure. beautiful yeah. club. Yeah. And, I, and uh, we've uh, we even recorded, uh, recorded an album. My goodness, it's been two years ago now. And I uh, have a lot of fun with that. But see, I also love New Orleans brass band music. So oh, beautiful. I yeah. have a New Orleans brass band. And uh, we do a lot of um, uh, young blood brass band charts, and and uh, of course, uh, dirty dozen brass band, or you know, whatever I can I can sure. find and dig up. So you know, I I knew ahead of time, purposefully, I wanted to keep busy with music once I retired for full time teaching, and i the podcast that you are now a part of came about as a result that uh, in my last few years of full-time teaching, I taught online, some online courses. And I bought uh, a really nice Audio Technica microphone that plugs into the USB port. And I was sitting here one day and noticed that microphone sitting there. And I thought, you know, that's a darn nice piece of equipment and it's a shame to let it go to waste. And uh, kind of within that same Time period, a colleague of mine had written to me and asked me, Say, hey, hey, what are you listening to these days? I'm kind of bored with what I'm listening to. And what have you got for suggestions? And bada bing, bada boom. I thought, hey, I'm gonna start a podcast about music and I'm gonna interview people and I'm gonna talk about composers because I do a segment on that and try to educate people about music and musicians. Uh, all over the United States, but also come back and focus in uh, the Milwaukee area because I, I like to help promote music, period, whether it's mine or others, because I believe in music, and uh, so you know that's that's kind of what uh, what all came about with this. That's
1: so. terrific, and it, it you know what what we're all doing is we I think you nail it. We have to help each other promote good things yeah Uh, yeah whether it's a a great piece of art or a great book or or whatever it is i mean we we can't always just you know we can't just eat fast food
0: No, i agree i agree but i think in the music community we need to focus on on really on supporting each other because i think that if we if we only compete you know and and i understand that you know, we, the gigs are not, plat, you know, hugely plentiful and we have to compete for gigs, but sure. we need to find ways to support each other. Otherwise, I think we're going to contribute to our own demise.
1: I think you're absolutely right. Because if we don't, it's not the person that's, um, you know, going to a, a, a jazz event. And the first question is, is there going to be a beer truck there? Exactly. I mean, that's not what we're you know, hopefully, and you know what, if we get enough people supporting each other, then other people say, well, well it looks like it's hip. I guess I should do that, too.
0: Exactly. It, it's, you know, there, we have to be the shepherds a little bit. We have to model. We have to model. If we really think the music is that important, then we need to support the music, whether, again, whether it's our own making or that of colleagues And that's kind of part of what I'm about with doing this, because I don't make a dime from doing this podcast. I do it strictly for fun. I guess what I do get out of it and get off on it is the opportunity to, just like you said, have a conversation about music with another musician. Absolutely. And I've, you know, and I talk, I've talked to people from coast to coast and Chicago and Italy and Memphis and Nashville. And it's just, it's a, gas for me so well, good well
1: thank you for asking me to do this once again and uh you bet uh, hope it was I
0: hope is what
1: you were looking for and
0: oh yeah oh yeah Dave thank you for work. taking time to talk to me today and all the best with what I'm sure will be uh, continued success uh, in your musical future Well thanks a lot Craig and I hope uh, we get a chance to play with each other sometime. I'm looking forward to it okay all right take care thanks. My Discovery Composer of the Week is Mason Bates, composer of the Grammy-winning opera, The Revolution of Steve Jobs. He's imaginatively transforming the way classical music is created and experienced as a composer, DJ, and curator. During his term as the first composer in residence at the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, he presented a diverse array of artists on his KC jukebox using immersive production and stagecraft. Championed by legendary conductors from Ricardo Muti to Michael Tilson Thomas, his symphonic music is the first to receive widespread acceptance for its unique integration of electronic sounds. And he was named the most performed composer of his generation in a recent survey of American music. Bates has also composed for films, including Gus Van Sant's The Sea of Trees, starring Matthew McConaughey and Naomi Watts. A diverse artist exploring the ways classical music integrates into contemporary culture, he serves on the faculty of the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Next season, we'll see the premiere of Philharmonia Fantastique, the making of the orchestra for animated film and live orchestra by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and the San Francisco Symphony. A collaboration with Gary Rydstrom of Lucasfilm and Jim Capobianco of Aerial Contrivance The work explores the connection between creativity and technology with the help of a magical sprite who flies through instruments as they are played. Additional commissioners include the National, Pittsburgh and Dallas symphonies, as well as in theaters and streaming services. Also in the coming season is a new piano concerto for Daniel Trifonov for the San Francisco Symphony and the Philadelphia Orchestra, and the premiere of the concert opener, The Rhapsody of Steve Jobs. Based on his hit opera, which was hailed as one of the best-selling productions in the history of the Santa Fe Opera, the work will be premiered by the Philadelphia Orchestra and the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. The opera itself receives its second production by Opera Houses in Atlanta, Austin, and Kansas City next season, and he is currently at work on The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay for the Metropolitan Opera with librettist Gene Sheer. Highly informed by his work as a DJ, his curatorial approach integrates adventurous music, ambient information, and social platforms in a fluid and immersive way. He created a miniseries for the Kennedy Center, exploring his unique curatorial approach. During his five years as composer and residence at the Kennedy Center, he created vibrant events on all parts of the campus, including a week-long installation for the opening of the Center's new Reach Campus and five seasons of his hit series, K.C. Jukebox. The series has featured a diverse range of artists from Pulitzer Prize-winning Caroline Shaw to godfather of techno, Juan Atkins, to the renowned composers of the Netflix show, Stranger Things. KC Jukebox became created a unique integration of classical music and non-classical artists such as Tycho, Thievery Corporation, And Mouse on Mars. Working in clubs under the name DJ Masonic, Bates created Mercury Soul, a show combining DJing and classical music to pack crowds with clubs and orchestras around the country. The miniseries Mercury Soul Cathedral, a meditative mix of classical music and electronica, shot at St. Joseph Society for the Arts, received almost 300,000 views and its upcoming music video series will be created in partnership with the de Young Museum. The organization has broadened its scope to include not only classical club shows, but full service digital content production for arts organizations that want to build robust online audiences. In my show notes, you will find YouTube links to Mason Bates, Philharmonia Fantastique, Behind the Scenes, a link to Mason Bates' composition, Mothership, and also a link to a chamber work by Mason Bates entitled, Difficult Bamboo. That wraps episode number 39. My show notes along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst." Next week, I will be interviewing Montana-based classically trained singer-songwriter Ro Myra about her new album to be released August 6th entitled Nowhere, Nebraska. Upcoming interviews will include North Carolina-based singer-songwriter and former EDM composer Miles Travitz, Los Angeles-based studio musician and baritone saxophonist Terri Landry, Nashville-based Americana singer-songwriter Diana Jones, and Hartford, Connecticut-based jazz pianist, composer, bandleader, Jen Allen. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at hurstc at uwm.edu. So until next time, This is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.